It is yet another pleasant Saturday morning. You are on to your most compelling weekend delight, Nasco Moments Radio Show, powered by your quality food and household products provider, Nasco Group Nigeria. Now, do you know where your children are at this moment? The menace of illegal mining has over time been a topical issue in the national discourse. As part of our commitment to educating and enlightening our teeming listeners on the harmful effects of this unwholesome trend, we started a conversation last Saturday on the dangers posed by illegal mining to persons and communities. Among other issues, we had a general overview of the solid mineral sector in Nigeria, some of the major minerals that are being mined in Nigeria, what constitutes illegal mining and why it thrives in Nigeria. This morning, we are back with the concluding part of this package. Is there a link between building collapse and illegal mining? What can be done to redeem lands ravaged by illegal mining? We would also highlight ways in which illegal mining undermines the efforts and gains of legal miners. Professor Stephen Malo, a professor of mining engineering at the University of Jos, is here to continue the conversation on NASCO Moment Show today. He is a two-term rector of the Plateau State Polytechnic, Barkinladi, and one-time acting vice-chancellor of the Plateau State University, Bokos. Professor Malo is a mining engineer of international repute. I'm Hudun Gang. Stay tuned as we return right after this. Mama Shakara, eh? this your shabby city shine. <laughs> and how don't fit? How manage? Ah, my sister. Now, Brightex white detergent, oh. Brightex detergent, not the fade cloth at all at all. And if they wash clothes clean, well, well, it gets power to come out all the yama yama stain and dirty no matter how it be. You not go chop and soap? No, you know the chop and do. And it's good for washing machine too. Eh? Mama Shakara, me too now Brightex detergent I go to use to wash all my clothes now so that I go to shine, shine and scent, scent and make Shakara like you so. <laughs> Brightex White Detergent, a quality product from NASCO. For your brightest wash, Brightex. Brightex, for the brightest wash. Professor Malo, welcome again to the NASCO Moment Show. Thank you very much, Hudun Gang. It's a pleasure meeting you once again. Okay, so we'd just like you at this point to update uh, the listener briefly on what illegal mining entails. Well, the word illegality stems from the fact that for one to take part in mining activities, he must have some kind of a license of a, or a permit. So from the standpoint of this definition I gave, an, an illegal miner can be anybody. As I told you that the first time we met, there are about three to four classes of miners. The illegal miners or artisan miners, as they are called. We have the small-scale miners. We have the mining intermediaries, the mining miners and the mining majors, who are the multinational companies. And as I said, any of this group can be an illegal miner, especially if the company is operating in a place without permission. But I know, actually, you are concerned. When you mention illegal miners, you're talking about the other artisanal miners or small-scale miners. These illegal miners of this group can be considered to be subsistence miners, just like you have people engaged in subsistence farming. These are a group of people who only engage in this activity so that they can keep life and soul together. These are people generally on the downside of 
the ladder, especially of the economy of a country, mm. the poor. Okay. So these are the people that uh, maybe the discussion is centered about. Uh, but as I said, as I told you the, the first time, I said the term illegal miners, as it, as it is now, is drastically fading. The reason is because the United Nations has found a window of opportunity in people engaging in artisanal mining. What they are doing is, is just as agriculturists are doing, it's almost about the same thing. The only difference is that they don't have permits to do it. And as I told you before, here is a window of opportunity that can place food on the tables of the poor people. Therefore, the United Nations has officially recognized this group of people because worldwide there are about 100 million people engaged in artisanal or illegal mining, as you may call it. Mm. And as I told you the other time, mainly uh, from the sub-Saharan countries, of which Nigeria is a part, in Malaysia, in India, in, in uh, Central and North and Southern America, you have illegal miners in all these places. So if these people are illegal miners and it is thought that their activities undermine the efforts of legal miners. But now you've even said that the United Nations has recognized them. So where's the place now of the legal miners versus the illegal miners? It will shock you to understand that these people you call illegal miners provide substantial commodity. In fact, 80% of gemstones that is traded worldwide is provided through artisanal mining. 25% of tin that we have in just here and other countries that's provided worldwide, 25% is, is through the activities of illegal miners. 20% of gold that is mined, that is, that is that, you know, finest is going to the international market is by illegal miners. So is copper, zinc, lead, and so on and so forth. Now let me also say, the women who break stones, you know, in the suburbs of Jos, for example, the class within there would be also uh, within this class. And you'll agree with me. In Jos, not everybody can afford to buy crushed rocks from PW or Julius Badger. So who supplies the rock aggregators being used in Jos and environments? They're this group of people. So if they were not there, what happens? So there's a place for both groups then? There's a the place market. for both, both groups. There's a place for both groups, okay. yes. And now let's move to the link. What is the link between building collapse and illegal mining? Depending on what kind of illegal mine you are indulging, what is mining? It's, if it is the subsurface one that we call lotto mining, it means what it means is that some, some holes are, are dark to a depth of about maybe uh, 20 to 25, 30 feet. And once they dig vertically down, they move horizontally in all directions, trying to look for the mineral. And in the course of movement, they remove all the earth, and what happens is that you have a void that is left abandoned. So if a building, an unsuspected you know, householder builds in such areas, and did not take into consideration the depth of the foundation in such a way that maybe to strike that uh, void area, what will happen? Over time, 
sinkholes are developed. And when sinkholes are developed under a structure that's already standing, then you know what that means. Part of the building will collapse. And that can be catastrophic. Okay. That is one. Take for example in Jos, there has been mining, hydrolicking, hydraulic operations. That is a process whereby a hydraulic monitor that is power that is uh, carries uh, water at very high pressure and speed crashes on the soil and you know in the process the tin concentrate is kept is gotten. Over time there will be silting of a lot of areas. By that silting it means the area will be unstable. And if you must have building constructions in such areas then you must take into consideration. All these the activities things. that are taken place. If we don't take into consideration, then over time there will be subsistence okay. and we bring building collapse. Okay. It is only in this way that uh, there's a link between illegal mining and, uh, and building, building collapse. collapse yes. All right, we'll continue to talk some more about this when we return. This is uh, time for us to take a break on the Nasco Moment Show. Please don't go away. vitamins and minerals. NASCO Conflicts, nourishing goodness anytime. Welcome back to the NASCO Moment Show on radio. We're discussing the dangers posed by illegal mining to persons and communities. Our guest is Professor Stephen Malo, a professor of mining engineering at the University of Joss. Now, can you tell us how illegal mining affects agriculture and the provision of portable water? Mining as an activity requires the utilization of large volume of water, especially if it has to do with gold mining, lead and zinc, tin mining. You know, water must be involved. And when water is involved, that water must have to be discharged somewhere. And some of the minerals, especially lead, gold, zinc, they have harmful elements that normally in the process these elements are discharged along the riverbeds and in the process they contaminate the subsurface water. So if you are living in an area where artisanal mining is taking place, then you are guaranteed that your well water is likely to be infected by uh, heavy elements which are harmful, which are from who can cause cancer, it can cause stomach, up here, you know, unrest, and so on and so forth. Mm. So it, that is the link between uh, uh, mining and uh, water. What about agriculture? Yes, agriculture is in a similar way. In a similar way, when the area is polluted, normally agricultural products, trees, products can only strive in the soil that uh, has all the necessary nutrients that can make it to, to grow. But areas that have been prone to mining activities, 
most of the, the surface in loamy soil, the surface soil is destroyed. And once it's destroyed, the agricultural product will not thrive. And let me also add that those trace elements I've mentioned that are harmful, they also get absorbed through the roots of the, of, of, of the agricultural products. And it gets to man, to you and me, because now we have to feed on vegetables, we have to feed on carrots, we have to feed on tomatoes and so on. So that's how it gets into our body. That is one. Secondly, it has effects also on aquaculture. The water with trace elements pollutes the water. The fish drinks, you know, takes in these elements. First, they are harmful to the fish and subsequently they are also harmful to the consumer of the fish. So it's a cycle. So in this case, it doesn't really matter if the miner is a legal or an illegal one. Um, they all have such consequences on the, whether yes. agriculture or water. The only difference is that for formal miners, mm. there are laws and regulations that guides what you should do. If you have water that is contaminated, where should you discharge the water? There are rules again for that. Mm. And the formal miners strive at least to keep to the rules. But the informal miners, who are the illegal miners or artisanal miners, don't even know about that. Okay. All they're interested is getting uh, what they're looking for, whether okay. it is steel or gold. Okay, so through your long-standing experience, can you share with us uh, some of the consequences or penalties for indulging in illegal mining? I'm sorry to say that, uh, if I'm permitted to say, we live in a lawless society. Yes, are there penalties? Yes, there are penalties. And there's penalties carry periods of between six months up to four years if you are found engaged in illegal mining. And this doesn't only, it doesn't have to do with only artisanal miners, even small-scale miners. And what does the law say? It says, when you are found wanting, you are working, you are operating in a place without permit, and you are caught. First of all, all your implements, machinery, and equipment, trucks, will have to be confiscated. The commodity that you have produced will have to be confiscated and it will be quantified and based on the amount you have got, you know, that is realized. And you know, if, depending on the kind of commodity, there are commodities that are more precious than others. It will attract up to uh, four years imprisonment or some ridiculous uh, charges in lieu of uh, those uh, long years. But I want to say that in my years of service and practice, I'm yet to know of one illegal miner, be it an artisanal miner, a small-scale miner, or a mining intermediary that has been convicted. Not even Just, one? Yes. That says a lot. Okay. Um, what can, in your view, what can government do to expedite the prosecution of such people? You've not seen one. What can government do to change the narrative? At best, what government does now is if illegal miners are working in a place that is sensitive or that is of primary importance to them, it's the best is to make sure that they leave the place. Take for example, about two, three years ago, during Governor John's uh, uh, administration, uh, the, the road linking Barodabajama and Barakiladi, there were artisanal mining there on the right side if you are going towards Barakiladi. That is a gender. You know, the illegal mine was such was being done in such a way that they were almost going mining under the road. <laughs> Do you understand the point? You will not see them, but <laughs> when they are down there, they go under the road and the government stop them. 
you know, he stopped them because he stopped them in the general interests of people that use that road. Do you understand the point? And, he, and they left the place. But you know, they, they have returned. They returned some time back. They have returned. You see, so uh, for us to join the League of Nations where mining is practiced in earnest, if we have laws, we must enforce the laws. But the question is that the people who are charged with enforcing the laws may not be sufficiently equipped to carry out uh, the, inspector, the, the inspections, regular inspections, and the rest. They don't, they, don't, they don't have the capacity. So government must do something about it. But far and above what I've said, there should be advocacy for people to know. Okay. Enough, enough advocacy so that people know that it's wrong. And once there's enough advocacy, it will not be necessary you know, to arrest people. All right. It's the Nasco Moments radio show. Thank you for staying tuned. It's been an interesting discussion. Please join us again right after this. Nasco Cube Sugar is pleasantly sweet and can be used in tea, coffee, pap, and a variety of cereals and beverages. Nasco Cube Sugar can be taken at any time of the day. And what's more, each cube delivers a sweet taste and experience. Really? Nasco Cube Sugar is fortified with vitamin A and dissolves fast. Nasco Cube. Mmm, Nasco Cube Sugar. Sugar. For that sweet taste. Nasco Cube. Nasco Cube Sugar, another quality product from Nasco. This is the Nasco Moment Show on radio. We have been discussing the dangers posed by illegal mining to persons and communities too. Our guest, Professor Stephen Marlowe, one-time acting vice-chancellor, Plato State University, Bokos, has been sharing his thoughts and experiences on the topic. Uh, now let's talk some more, sir, about the strategies that can be deployed to redeem lands ravaged by illegal mining by all stakeholders involved. This is a very sad uh, issue, and as I told you uh, during our first discussion, that uh, the Plateau Tins fields were ravaged for a period of about uh, 50 years before the first law was enacted, that uh, mining activities should be followed by some reclamation activities. And that's the reason why you have so many abandoned ponds, mine dunes, and areas uh, that have been ravaged by mining activities. As it is now, it only lies on government to do whatever it can do. But as you can see, if you see from Rayfield to, uh, to do Bukuru and that area, this has been ravaged. No reclamation work has been done. All buildings that are coming up in those places are being managed by individuals. People are just doing whatever they can do to ensure that they do not feel victims of the activities of mines, but just the metropolitan town is fast growing, very, very fast growing. And uh, this is an issue that uh, I think the state government can still take up. What about building regulatory agencies, mining regulatory agencies? What role can they play? Because if you want, if you buy a piece of land, you probably don't know how damaged it is, and you go and start uh, your building. How can you escape uh, this kind of uh, calamity that may happen in the future? The standard procedure is for you, for a landowner or a prospective landowner to carry out some investigation on the state or the subsurface soil. If you don't do that, then you, you know, 
is at your risk. And that is why we professionals are there to offer such services. And the regulatory bodies are there to ensure that uh, people maybe don't build in such areas. But as I said from the beginning, we are a society that we are a difficult society. Where, where you say somebody should not build a house, you find that that's the place he can afford. And fortunately or unfortunately, such areas that are ravaged compared to other places that are not ravaged are much cheaper. So you see, it attracts uh, unsuspecting uh, uh, clients to those areas. So what I would suggest is that, uh, yes, uh, uh, before buying a land, try to carry out an in-depth investigation what the nature of the subsoil and to be sure that uh, that place is okay. And in fact, you may have been built in an area that there was mining tailings. A mine tailing is the remnants of uh, sand, soils that comes out of mining activity. And normally in such soils, you have heavy concentration, concentration of trace elements and heavy metals. So if you build in such a place and the place that is infected with radioactive material, it means everywhere you are sleeping. Is that also? You are sleeping in an area that is infested by radioactive material. It means what is surely guaranteed is that you have your lifespan shortened. So certainly there needs to be a lot of investigation carried out That's right. uh, by landowners. How much um, advocacy or awareness do you think uh, needs to be made to the public about the acts of illegal mining? The advocacy should be there that all minerals under the earth by the appropriate legislation belongs to federal government. And nobody, even if that mineral is behind your courtyard, it doesn't belong to one. People should know this. But you know, there has been no enough advocacy. And as I told you before, the mining culture had been lost. The problem we have in this country is not happening in Ghana, it's not happening in Zambia, it's not happening in Namibia, it's not happening in South Africa. All these are places I've been provide service. And the reason is because mining activities has been there for almost two centuries. I was, you know, immediately oil was struck in 1956. That was the end of it. By 1978, there was no more mining. So the culture has been lost. But for these countries, the culture has been there, the advocates have been there over time, and they know what is right and what is wrong. But here, it is not there. So we are virtually starting all over again. And we are starting at a time that people have become more restless, people are more impoverished, and what is in the mind of a poor person or a hungry man is what he needs is food. And if there's a facility behind his house that he can get that food, he doesn't want to know those legislations. Okay. So what are your final words or advice on this topic today? My advice is that uh, the world what illegal mining can be associated with both artisanal miners, small-scale miners, and even multinational companies. If you must engage in artisanal mining, there's a department, a whole department has been created now in the Federal Ministry of Mines and Steel Development. This is taking into consideration the importance government has put on this sector because it provides food for poor people at the end of the day. What government is saying is that miners should form themselves into cooperatives, be registered, 
approach the mines office. The mines office is just by the corner here, for example. And attention will be given to them. Through that process, some training can be extended to them. They can access, they can they have access to micro credit facilities. There will be training on awareness, on, on safety awareness, on health awareness. By so doing, you know, they would have been doing the thing legally okay. and well informed. Far and above what I've said, if they form themselves to cooperatives, they can have access to loans and have access to better market where they can sell those commodities. As for now, mm. they get the, they, they mine the commodity in the morning, by two, three o'clock, they sell it. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, I've been speaking this morning to Professor Stephen Marlow on the dangers posed by illegal mining to persons and communities. And I hope, listener, you have really benefited from this conversation. Thank you so once again for being here. Thank you, Odunke. Uh, we have to end the show here. I certainly hope that uh, uh, your time spent this morning was worth it. Follow the program on www.facebook.com slash NASCO group or using the Twitter handle at NASCO group. Please send any feedback on any aspect of this NASCO Moment show to the email info at nasco.net or by text through the dedicated care line 0805-774-7777. Our NASCO Moments trivia question for this week is, in what year did organized mining start in Nigeria and who were the pioneers? Send the correct answer via text to 805 774-7777 and remember to include your name and location. Our trivia question last week was what mineral resource was discovered in Nigeria by Sir William Wallace and in how many states of the country is this mineral resource found? The answer is tin ore and it is found in Plateau, Bauchi states and Abuja. Congratulations to our winner Jamilu Iwuno from Monedo Street. You'll get a call telling you how you can claim your NASCO gift basket. The NASCO Moments radio talk show has been brought to you by NASCO. It was created by Unimark Limited Marketing Communications Consultants, Executive Producers, NASCO Marketing Department, Producer Harun Audu, Research and Content Development, George Palm and Harun Audu, Production Coordinators, Solomon Audu, Malau Silvanus and Alex Ruben. My name is Hudun Gyan. Join us again next week.